um, our scripture for our sermon this afternoon. By the way, we have a podcast. I don't know if you know that. Um, if you're ever out uh, and you miss a Sunday and you want to catch up on the sermon, maybe before your neighborhood group, um, you can look that up. We try to link that in our email um, every week. We're trying to figure out the audio to make it a little more uh, friendly on the ears as you listen. Um, but, but that's out there for you. We're also trying to um, live stream, I think. Um, and uh, so, yes, we are live streaming. I watched the live stream two weeks ago um, with everything with Omicron. Um, just know that that's available on our Facebook page. So um, if you need to um, sit out a week, we're trying to um, cater to that. All right, so we are going to continue um, our series in Philippians this afternoon. Philippians, uh, it's a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing a letter from prison uh, to the first church that he planted in Europe. Uh, It's the Philippian church. One of the main things you're going to feel in this letter um, is joy. You will feel joy when you read Philippians, which is a bit surprising because he is writing from prison. Um, Our passage this afternoon is going to get into a tension that all of us have experienced, no matter what our situation is in life. Um, How should we think about the setbacks that we've experienced? Every one of us, children, adults, we've all experienced setbacks. How should we think about those? Um, When things don't work out like we hoped they would, uh, or some kind of big failure happens in our lives, or a big disappointment Um, How should we think about that? Maybe it's a significant relationship that doesn't work out. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's not making a team. Maybe not getting into a school or program that you hope to get into. Maybe it's a big financial loss that you experience. Maybe it's failing a major test or class that you didn't want to fail. Maybe you made a really big mistake as a parent. Um, Maybe like Paul. You've had to serve prison time or you're experiencing some actual legal ramifications for something that you've done in your past. That's been a real setback for you. Maybe you have a life altering health diagnosis um, or maybe just a dream that you had for your life that you're starting to think may not work out. And it feels like that's going to be a setback. How should we think about what we would call human setbacks and what is God doing in the midst of our setbacks? Let me read Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for speaking to us in your word. God, would you meet us now as we think about it together? Uh, You know what's on our minds, what's distracting us, what what we've been burdened about this week. And we need something supernatural to happen right now if we're going to grow. And we need your Holy Spirit to come inside of us and to speak to us. 
We need to apply these words to our minds and our hearts and our specific situations. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, the Winter Olympics are about to start here in a couple weeks. I was joking with my family recently that like, it feels like life in our house is like, dictated by like, sporting event after sporting event. And so I'm already looking at when football season ends, what's going to be the next sporting event. It's going to be the Winter Olympics, partially. Um, one of the highlights of the Olympics is that um, the, the, the big podium um, medal ceremony at the end of every event where the national anthem is playing, flags are waving, they get the medals, and um, they get to be celebrated for winning. It's a really cool moment, right? Um, and that's actually the ultimate goal of every Olympian, to get on the podium and win a medal. What we don't often think about is those athletes who go to the Olympics and lose. Um, I saw an article a couple weeks ago called, How Does It Feel to Lose at the Olympics? And it featured a woman named Emma Coburn. Um, she is from Boulder, Colorado, and she runs for Team USA, participated in last, year's, uh, last summer's Summer Olympics in a 3,000-meter steeplechase. If you've never seen Steeplechase, look it up. It's awesome. Um, she was a favorite to win the race. The race did not go as planned. Um, her body literally shut down. She tripped over a hurdle, went out of her lane. She finished last place in the final. It's a big disappointment. Very unexpected. She's typically a really consistent athlete. She was at the top of her physical condition going into this race, but it all fell apart. In this article, um, Emma Coburn describes her experience um, losing at the Olympics. Listen to some of these quotes. She says, quote, I was going to come out and crush. I thought I was just going to come out there and be fighting for a medal, fighting for gold. And that wasn't today. And this is going to be really hard. She said, her voice cracking. This is going to be really hard for the next year until the next championship can come around. I'm really sad. I'm really disappointed that I couldn't do better for my coach and my family. And then this next part of the article describes an interaction between her and a reporter as she's recounting the field losing. It says, at one point, a reporter informed her that she had been disqualified. And she responds, cool, 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 she said. And a couple reporters laughed. She shook her head and looked at them. Quote, that's like not funny to me. Laughing isn't cool with the heartache. And it recounts the scene after this. She sa- it says, the group got quiet. She eventually continued to describe the pain. All of the metrics suggested that she should have been in, in uh, contention to win the gold medal. She had been fine-tuning her body for months in workouts without a hiccup. Then came Wednesday. Maybe it was the hot and humid conditions in Tokyo, she wondered, but she refused to use it as a crutch. Every runner was dealt with the same cards. Quote, it's not what I'm capable of. I need to do better. I don't have the answers for what happened today. I wish I did. I wish I had a, oh, I have a hamstring injury. I don't have that, she said. My body shut down and I don't have an answer. There's nothing mental I could have done to will my body to do better than it did, which is really frustrating. Later on, Coburn reminded everyone of the exact time of the medal ceremony later in the night, 8.50 p.m., and she was still trying to process that she wouldn't be there. Quote, today is mystifying, she said. 
I went to bed last night thinking I was going to be coming home with an Olympic medal. I walked on that starting line thinking I was coming home with an Olympic medal. I'm coming home empty-handed with a lot of heartache. Heartache. Uh, Unexpected setbacks are really hard to deal with. Maybe it's not losing an Olympic race, though for some of you that maybe is a possibility. Um, But we all experience setbacks, and we can all relate to Emma's words. That feeling of this is just not how this was supposed to go. The Apostle Paul experienced a significant setback, which he talks about in our passage. So here's how I want to think about this briefly this afternoon. I want to talk about human setbacks. Then I want to talk about God's momentum. Human setbacks and God's momentum. First, let's talk about human setbacks. All right, what was Paul's setback? He mentions it directly throughout this passage, and it serves as a major backdrop to this letter. Verse 12, he talks about what has happened to me. What is he talking about? Being put in prison. Verse 13, he mentions it directly. Imprisonment. Verse 14, imprisonment. Verse 16, I am put here. Where? In prison. Verse 17, imprisonment. Five references in six verses. His setback is that he is in prison. And verse 13 tells us that his imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul is in jail for telling people about Jesus And making a defense that all the stuff about Jesus really is true. And the Roman authorities were threatened by what this would mean for their power that they could lose. um, His proclamation of another God. And so they put him in prison. All right, now we don't know the exact details of his imprisonment, whether it was house arrest or actual prison. But the reason he was in prison was because he was preaching the good news about Jesus. All right, in our context, this can be difficult for us to understand. Um, we don't really traffic in spaces where talking about our faith in Jesus is going to get us thrown into prison. Uh, it might get us made fun of. It might affect um, job stuff at work. It affect, might affect us socially. It might get us written off. It's unlikely that one of us will get thrown in prison for talking about our faith in Jesus. But I would say, especially to our kids here, who maybe your faith is um, becoming more and more real to you, and you're thinking about your belief in Jesus, and maybe you have a friend here at church you can talk to it about, you talk to your parents about your faith, uh, maybe you have a friend at school that you talk to about your faith, and it's, you're able to kind of process it and think about it with others. Um, it's important to know that there are some places in the world where you would actually get arrested and put in prison for talking about Jesus and trying to tell others about Jesus. There are places like North Korea, parts of Iran and Afghanistan, where it's actually illegal. It's stated that it is illegal to tell people about Jesus. You could actually go to prison for that. So it's maybe not a reality in our context right now, but there are places in the world where that is a reality for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in our passage for a church planter, missionary guru like Paul, you can see how being confined in prison would be a major setback to what he's trying to do. He can't get out and travel. He can't get out and preach. He can't gather people together. He can't visit the churches that he's planted. And if you think about the life of Paul, this would have been especially tough after his dramatic conversion. In the book of Acts, it recounts Paul's conversion three different times. Once when it happens and then two times where he's telling other people about it. 
That takes up a lot of space in the Bible. It's a really big deal. It's a very dramatic conversion where a light from heaven actually shines down on him. He's knocked off his feet and Jesus speaks to him audibly and strikes him blind for three days. It's an incredibly supernatural conversion. And you would think if that's who we're dealing with here, if that's Paul, this conversion experience so supernatural, this guy's probably good to go. Like, I think he's anointed. I think God's hand is on him. You're good to go, Paul. If that's your conversion experience, you're not going to have problems in ministry. In prison. Major setback. All right, how do we think about setbacks? It's typically when, when something doesn't go as we had planned. Maybe it's, again, failing in something we hope to succeed in. or Maybe not being able to do what we hoped we could do. But at the core of it is that things aren't going the way that we had planned. We have a plan for our lives. Setbacks happen when our plans don't work out. It's not wrong to have a plan. The Bible actually says it's wise to have a plan. So when our plans don't work out, we're faced with this question, God, what are you doing? Uh, Did God get it wrong? Is God just letting me down? Uh, Did I miss something? And that's not an easy question to answer. Sometimes we don't know the full answer. We don't know what God is doing in our setbacks. And actually, the Psalms are full of prayers to God asking those types of questions. Um, God, what are you doing in my current setback? Listen to some of these quotes. This is directly from the Bible, from the book of Psalms. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Okay, that is, why is there this setback of enemies coming after God's people? Or this, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Uh, Setback of feeling totally alone in the midst of a hard thing. How about this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Setback of feeling forsaken by God, which Jesus would actually quote on the cross. How about this? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So it's a setback of feeling oppressed and left alone by God in the midst of that oppression. Uh, Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? It's a setback of feeling like God is not helping his people when they're in a hard spot. Um, We need to see that God actually gives us Bible language in the Psalms to ask him where he is in the midst of our hard things, in the midst of our setbacks. And maybe you can relate to some of those cries of the heart, this um, God, what is happening? This is not how it's supposed to go. And sometimes we're right on when we pray that in the face of sickness, death, sin, broken relationships, tragedy. Um, This is not the world that God created. That is not what God intended for us. And so it's right to feel what we could call a holy opposition to those things because they're so far from what God intended and what he created. And so it's right to cry out against those things. Other times... We are just frustrated that things didn't go the way we wanted them to go. We thought we knew best. It didn't work out. And it's really difficult. And so we say, God, things should have happened differently. Uh, For the Philippians and others who knew Paul, Paul going to prison was a major setback. He's supposed to keep planting churches. He's supposed to keep traveling on his missionary journeys. 
He's supposed to keep preaching amazing sermons. And now prison? God, things should have happened some other way. What is the setback for you? What is God doing in the midst of the setback? That's the tension in our passage. How does God meet us in that tension of our setbacks? Let's talk about God's momentum. All right, it is good news that we see God, God's momentum, um, God moving forward in our passage. How so? A couple ways. First thing we see is that God's momentum both accounts for and even uses our setbacks. God's momentum both accounts for and even uses our setbacks. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's telling the Philippians, hey, maybe this setback really isn't a setback because God's at work using this to further his good plan. How is God using Paul's setback specifically? Two ways. Look at verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is telling his captors and his guards about Jesus. So he goes to prison for telling people about Jesus. And in prison, he tells more people about Jesus. There's some question about uh, who exactly was included in this imperial guard. There's a few different theories about it. Could have been um, the emperor's elite troops in Rome. We're just not totally sure. But Paul is making sure that whoever they are, they know why he's in prison. And it's because of Jesus. So the gospel is actually gaining momentum in this unexpected way through the setback of Paul being in prison. How else do we see God's momentum? Look at verse 14 right below. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, so this means that there uh, there are other followers of Jesus who are watching Paul go to prison for preaching the gospel. And his example is giving them greater boldness for them to share their faith. Uh, Just last weekend, I went sledding with my family, and it was awesome. Um, This was the most that it snowed since I've lived here. Uh, And if you're familiar with Gower Pool, it's kind of in the back of the Gower neighborhood. You'll know that the parking lot sits down at the bottom of a really steep, short hill. So to get in and out of the Gower Pool parking lot, you have to either go down or up a really steep hill. I had no idea that these hills turn into like sledding Mecca during snowstorms. And so um, my family and I got over to the hill and my kids looked at how steep it was and how fast other people were flying down this hill. And they handed me this, the sled and they said, hey, dad, you go first and try it and tell us how it is. And I said, OK. And so I did it. I went down. I came back up. I said, it's awesome. You're going to love it. And so they had watched me go down. They heard me report back. Gave them the confidence they needed, and they just time and time again, just all afternoon. They could not stop sledding down this hill. But I had to go first in order to give them the boldness to try it. Paul goes to prison for talking about Jesus. Those watching him needed someone to go first. They needed to watch Paul in order to gain the confidence and boldness to share their faith with others. What if Paul never went to prison? Those brothers wouldn't have had the inspiration and the boldness to start speaking more boldly of what Jesus had done. The text doesn't talk about this. Think about who those brothers talked to about Jesus and who those people might have then gone and talked to about Jesus and who those people then might have gone and talked to about Jesus. 
If we don't back up to this setback of Paul being in prison and God using it, that never happens. That's a story that God wrote. Here's a takeaway. The things that we consider setbacks do not throw off God's plan. They don't throw off God's plan. God's momentum both accounts for and uses our setbacks. Look um, in the front of your bulletin. You may have seen this at the beginning during our time of reflection. There's two quotes on there. There's one from Matthew Henry, who was a, a pastor in the 1600s and 1700s. It's the second quote there. He says, God's providences often seem to contradict his purposes, even when they are serving them. Think about that for Paul's situation. Paul having to go to prison would seem to contradict the purpose of God using Paul to further the gospel when actually it was serving him. Wonder what that looks like for the setbacks that you're experiencing. What else do we see about God's momentum? Um, God's momentum even accounts for our mixed motives. God's momentum even accounts for our mixed motives. This was a doozy for me to think about this week. Verses 15 through 17, that may be the only time I've ever said doozy in a sermon. Uh, Verses 15 through 17 are very honest, and they, they really show us the messiness of ministry in the church. If you are here, by the way, maybe you're not connected to another church, and you're just like putting a toe in the water of what it would be like for me to go to a church. This is a very honest and real picture um, of the reality of the church and what it's like when messy people try to do life and ministry together. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Okay, so Paul says there's two motives here and these people preaching about Jesus. Some are preaching out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, or to afflict Paul. Others are preaching out of goodwill, love, solidarity with Paul as he's in prison. Now, it's pointed out that Paul is still talking about brothers here. Meaning, these people with bad motives are not heretics. They're not like pagans preaching about some other god. These were brothers in Christ. Actual followers of Jesus who really believed the good news about Jesus. Yet for some reason they were trying to afflict Paul in some way in which they were preaching. It's possible they could have disagreed with Paul about something. And so they viewed his imprisonment maybe as like God's judgment or a chance to like correct something he was doing. We don't know for sure. We don't know the details of why or how they were trying to afflict him. Here's two things I want to highlight from this, though. The first is this. This is an accurate picture of messy church life. This is really accurate. Sometimes even people who believe the same things about the good news of Jesus can have significant disagreements and conflict with each other. And it's not always expressed with pure motives. Sometimes even preaching or ministry is used to fight or to harm others. Now that does not mean it's okay. It is certainly not. But it does give us a category of what we can expect in our fallen world with our fallen sinful nature when people try to do life and ministry in the church together. 
Okay, it would be tempting to take that and then begin to think about other Christians that we think have mixed motives and sort of use this as a weapon against them. Like, see, I knew it. Paul talks about it. But what if the first place we went was to our own hearts and our own mixed motives? And we lament what sin has done to us, even in the midst of good things like telling people about Jesus. And what if our prayer becomes, God, I see these things in my own heart. Envy and rivalry and selfish ambition and trying to hurt others, trying to get ahead, even using ministry to do so. What if it started as a prayer? God, root out my envy. Root out my selfish ambition. Root out my desire to afflict other brothers and sisters in Christ. It is so far from you. I hate it. Take it from me. Um, We can't control or even fully know the motives of other people. But we can be very honest and repentant about our own. To say that differently, um, if verses 15 through 17 give us an accurate picture of the messy life of ministry in the church, then the most helpful and healthy thing that we can do for the church is ruthlessly examine our own motives and our own hearts before the Lord. Start with your own heart, not someone else's. Second thing to take note of, I've already mentioned it. Notice how Paul speaks about his rivals. Verse 14, from verse 14 on, he calls them brothers. Paul is using family language, family of God language. He is not breaking fellowship with them. He's not cutting them off. And it really seems as though he's speaking as charitably as possible about these brothers. And commentators and scholars who write a lot about this think that he's actually giving the Philippian church an example. Later on in Philippians, in chapter 4, we're going to read about a disagreement or disunity that has happened in this Philippian church. And commentators suggest that what Paul is doing by mentioning this is modeling for them what it looks like to be charitable with those you disagree with. But that's not even his ultimate concern. What is Paul's ultimate concern? Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Uh, Paul's ultimate concern is that Christ is proclaimed. He is more concerned about the gospel going forth than he is about conquering or correcting his rivals. Uh, He cares more about the gospel than he does about winning. And he's back at this theme of joy once again. Remember, the letter is all about finding joy. And here is Paul facing the setback of being in prison. And he's finding joy in the fact that the good news of Jesus is being proclaimed, even if it's from people who are trying to hurt him. What can we take away from that? Our joy is ultimately only found in Jesus. Our joy is ultimately only found in Jesus. He is the source of it, and there is no setback. There's no other person, there's no other group of people that can take that away from us. He alone is our joy. And we have to work hard to remember that He alone is our joy, because that joy can go quick. Uh, This is why we need God's word speaking into our lives on a regular basis. 
So we studied alone or in a Bible study. Or, uh, this is why we need to be together every week to remind each other that our joy is only found in Jesus, to confess together, to sing together, to taste the good news at the table, to hear the word preached. That's why we need things like a neighborhood group to get together on a weekly basis when, when our joy is leaking out and we need to be filled up again. Remember that Jesus is our joy. Um, the process of finding our joy in Jesus is a group project. And we need to help each other with that. Human setbacks. God's momentum. Oftentimes, God's momentum looks like a human setback. Certainly did for Paul in prison. And it also did for Jesus. Think about the cross. It looked like failure. It looked like Jesus was wrong about himself and what he predicted. Um, It looked like the bad guys won. Um, Even his own followers deserted him in that final hour. But then the resurrection. The picture of God's momentum in the world. Um, What looked like the greatest setback was actually the greatest act of God's momentum. Everything is upside down in the kingdom of God. And it's true for us in our lives as well. Um, And this is actually the thing that is going to give us joy in the midst of whatever setbacks that we face. That the risen Jesus has not made a mistake with us. He's not made a mistake with our lives. We did not knock his plans off course. He is perfectly powerful. He is perfectly in control. And he is perfectly good to you right now. And this all-powerful, all-good God offers himself to you. He invites you to come to him in the midst of whatever setbacks you're facing. And to be held by him. And to be even hidden in him for all eternity. To a place where your joy will never Run out. That's what's on offer to you this afternoon. Won't you, by faith, receive it? Let's pray. Father, thank you.